For all my grammar people out there, B-U-T, but, I feel weird saying but all the time, but um, you, you, you get it. I wonder if my, if I know my grammar people know how the word, what the word but is. If you're teaching your kids grammar, you, you, you know what this word is. For all of you who are a long time out of grammar or never really got grammar, which I would, I would raise my hand here and identify, but is a conjunction. A conjunction. What a conjunction does is, I say, I looked over at my wife who's listening very carefully. She's going to go like this or she's going to go like this. So we're going to see how accurate my, my thoughts are here. A conjunction has a function. If you're around my age, you remember conjunction, junction, what's your function? And there was little trains coming together, remember? Conjunctions join two thoughts together. So you have a thought and you have another thought, and a conjunction joins those thoughts together. They're powerful little words. They can change everything. And this but is a conjunction that in this text creates a significant, magnificent change. You say, why? Because this but, three-letter word, follows a thought that Paul has presented in the first three verses of chapter 2. So you can't understand the impact of this this one word, this little conjunction. You can't understand its life-changing impact unless you understand the idea that came before it. So let's look at what came before it. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus, and Paul writes these incredibly long sentences. And so this is what he said to them. In in the first chapter, he was just showing them the glories of of God in the salvation that he has provided. And then in chapter 2, he takes us, he, he gives you kind of a reality check. He tells you, you know, this is, he's telling us what God has done, but he inserts who we were, who we are. And so he says this, it's, I'm going to warn you, it's not very flattering. This is what Paul and, and the Word of God have to say about every single person apart from Jesus. This is what's true. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, the bad guy, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working the sons of disobedience, long sentence, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, not good, and the mind, not good, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But, We'll get to what follows in a moment. This description that Paul has has just given us in verses 1 through 3 shows mankind's, humankind's, every, every human is facing a desperate dilemma. 
And it's, and it's because of this. It's because of sin. It's because we're born in sin. It's because we are, by nature, objects of the wrath of God because he created us and we rebelled against him. This is the state of every person. Shailin is a, a Christian artist who writes things in a way that he, he writes things in a way that helps many of us understand what Scripture says. And he wrote a song called "In Adam All Die." And so he's getting at this section of Romans where he's talking about the plight of humanity in Adam. And he says this, very poetically. Everybody knows, see if you can find yourself in this, because I I find there's truth that resonates here. He says, everybody knows that they're guilty. Our conscience condemns us, shows us we're filthy. Truth be told, we really have no answers for why we fall short of our own moral standards. The evidence of God is simply bountiful, and it's illogical to think that we won't be held accountable A universal day of judgment approaches. Any rational notion of justice would presuppose this. And deep down inside, everybody knows this, but we disregard it because our deeds are atrocious. We prefer the vicious. Our words are malicious. Our slurs pernicious. We find the absurd delicious. Depraved in our appetites, The things we crave are lack and light because sins got us enslaved and shackled tight. That's his rendition of of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And I think it's very helpful. Then Paul inserts this word in this long sentence. Remember, a conjunction joins two thoughts together. So we have this thought. Sins got us enslaved and shackled tight, but God. But God what? But God. This is how we treat God. This is how we respond to God. This is who we are. But God. You know this passage, many of you. You know what it's going to say. So the answer doesn't hit you the way that it should. I would expect a different conjunction here. Given this description of the human condition apart from Jesus, I'm expecting not but God and God. That little three little word changed everything. If that said and... Versus, but that changes the whole meaning. I expect and God. So this is who you are. This is what this is who humanity. This is a description of humanity and its fallenness, shackled tight to sin in our rebellion against God. And God, given our condition, our sinful rebellion, our actions towards Him we would and should anticipate that God will get us back for this. And God. 
executed his holy wrath upon his rebel subjects. What? That's what I expect. But this but is supposed to stop you in your tracks. But God, you should want to read further. You should want to say, but God, what? God, here the subject of this second clause, God, what? And, and before we get to, to the verb, so... So uh, follow along, but God, we don't know what he did yet. We get a long description. Paul writes these wrong, long sentences. So but God, and then we get a description of God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. We still don't know what he did yet. You see this? I, I want to do it again because I think in repeating it, it shows you what Paul is doing here. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we still don't know what he did. And remember who we're talking about. Remember the human condition. But God... And then Paul tells us, made us alive together with Christ. I only got one amen. That, that verse will change your life. This is who we are. Sin got us enslaved and shackled tight, and every person knows that. You know the guilt you feel within without anybody else having to convince you of that or tell you of those things. And then the Scripture tells us, but God, who's rich in mercy, great in love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he did something. What did God do? He took those who were dead in their trespasses and sins and their rebellion against him, and he made you alive and then Paul can't stand it any longer and so he inserts a parenthetical exuberant exaltation he can't stand it any longer and so he says by grace you've been saved he's coming back to that but it's almost like he had to break his train of thought this is who we were and God, who was rich in mercy and loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive in Christ. Glory to God. Thanks be to God. Thank him for his grace. Grace being unmerited favor. Grace being the, 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 the definition of what God has done towards those who could never work their way out of the predicament they found themselves. And he gives us, because he's rich in mercy, because he's steadfast in his loving kindness, in Christ he makes us alive. Church, can we ever tire of talking about the grace of God? Let's just look for a moment. Let's just look for a moment at 
at this character description of God because we get a description of God and this description of God doesn't line up with what we always think about God. What comes into your mind when you think about God, A.W. Tozer says, is, one, is the most important thing about you. And sadly, even those of us that have known God for a long time, when we ask the question, what comes in your mind when you think about God, we don't always think about God in the way that God describes himself. We don't always think about God in the way that the scripture describes him. We get this distorted view or vision of God. He's like, he, he must be this way. In light of the way I am, God must feel this way about me. This is, the, this is, this is what it means to fight the good fight, is to, to fight to believe the true description of God versus the description of God that you begin to develop in your mind. We have this feeling about God. Oftentimes, it's that God is disappointed with me. It's God is angry with me, or he's just putting up with me, or he's just tolerating me. And that's not in line with what we see, Paul's description of God's character. Is anybody with me? Look at this. It says, God, look at these three things. Settle your hearts, church, on what the Apostle Paul here says about the character of God. Settle your hearts, church, on what Paul says here about the character of God. The three things he describes here merit a lifetime of meditation. God is, we're told, rich in mercy. Mercy, the word used here, is closely connected to a word that's used many times in the Old Testament. Mercy is translated many times for the word hesed, which means steadfast love. In the New Testament, God's mercy is a reference to his loving kindness. Aristotle thought of mercy as pity or compassion towards those that are suffering. So here, this means that God's mercy is his pity on sinners who are suffering the disastrous calamity of their own sin. Doesn't that give you an incredible picture of God and his character? He has pity on those that find themselves in a disastrous calamity based on choices that they made. That's hard for me to have pity on you. Some, some situations harder than other, but isn't that hard for you? Isn't it hard for you to, to have pity on someone who's suffering the, 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 the consequences of sinful choices that you warned them about. You told them, listen, if you do that, you're going to get this. And then they do it. And you, it's, it's like it's almost impossible for you to muster compassion towards people that would act that way. But church, this is what's true about every one of us. God, you have been that way towards God. You have done this towards God. You have acted this way towards God. And God's heart towards you is mercy and pity. 
He actually feels sorrow for you. Oh, there's so much. And notice that he's rich in mercy. He's not just God being uh, adequate in mercy. Um, Being... Being... uh, Dispensing mercy on a whim every once in a while. Um, God being economical in mercy. God operating on a budget as it relates to mercy. It's not what it says. It says that he is loaded with mercy. He's rich in mercy. When God writes a check to you from his mercy account, you're going to get it. All that's coming to you. He's rich in mercy. Let me move on. He's great in love. Don't you love that? He's rich in mercy and he's great in love. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he loves us. That even when we were dead in our transgressions is supposed to intensify his love. Even though we were extremely unlovely, he loved us. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't it make you love God when you think how great is his love. Given the monstrous description of the sinners that he's showing love to. When we were this way, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, walking in that, when we were following the course of the world, when we were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, when we were living in the passions of our flesh, when we were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were nature of God's, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. When we were acting this way, God was acting with affection towards us. I can't, I can't even fathom that. And it goes on to say in verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I told you you should meditate on these things. This week, meditate on the fact that God and his character is rich in mercy, that he is great in love, and that he has showing the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The Greek word there for immeasurable is the root word for a word we use called hyperbole. Go meditate on that. And then we get this incredible verb that he's made us alive together with Christ. 
our being made alive is inextricably linked with Christ. We were dead spiritually, but God made us alive spiritually in Christ. I love, you get into conversations about, difficult theological conversations about grace and how much of salvation do we owe to God versus how much do we contribute? Because we want to contribute something. We want to. I want to say, you know, I did a little bit. And without getting into all of the theological challenges associated with a thorough understanding of what grace really is, Let me just use the analogy that Paul uses. Dead. I don't need another illustration. If I were to, and Lord have mercy on me, and, and, and I, I pray that this is not my moment, um, but if I were to fall out dead, I often wonder how I'll die, and I've actually thought if I would die while preaching, and I, that's actually not that scary of a thought for me, but I feel terribly bad for any of you that would be watching it. But if I did die right here on the stage, my guess is that somebody would come running up. I hope. <laughs> J. Russ has got me. Amy's not like the real emotional type, but she is an action type. I'm sure she'll cry. But somebody's, somebody's going to do something, right? But if I were dead, no matter what you did, you ain't going to make me alive. And if I were dead, you could come up onto the stage or you could shout from your seat. Do something. Don't die. Live. You could really mean it. You could even say, um, Kenny, maybe a nurse or a doctor runs up on stage and they start to do CPR and you start to shout, just cooperate a little bit with the doctor. Just one breath, Kenny. That's all we need. But we know that a dead person can't do anything. It doesn't matter how much you shout. You can't do anything to contribute even the slightest to your salvation. The source of of our salvation, the cause of our salvation is but God made us alive when we were dead. Do I need to say any more? Notice that he says you have been saved. 
by grace you have been saved. It's not the same as saying you were saved. It's not just a past tense. It's a completed action. It's done, but the results continue and continue and continue and continue. That didn't mean anything to some of you because you didn't catch what I was saying. Go home and think about that. Let me read a Samuel Rutherford quote to you. He says this. Think about it. Ye may, he wrote a long time ago, yourself ebb and flow. So, so what he's saying is like what goes on inside of you is this ebbing and flowing. You have moments of discouragement. moments Like even if this is true about you, don't you go in and out of like feeling good about these things and then feeling low? I, I do. So I can relate to him. He says, ye may yourself ebb and flow, rise and fall, ebb, wax and wane. But your Lord is this day as he was yesterday. And it is your comfort that your salvation is not rolled upon wheels of your own making. Where are the writers that can write like that? <laughs> but do you see what he's saying here? You, you ebb and flow. You wax and wane. You rise and fall. But God doesn't do that. And if salvation was the product of our own making, in other words, if we were only 75% spiritually dead, then, then what's, to, what's the assurance that we have that I can keep going, that I can keep maintaining this salvation, that I, can, that I can keep myself alive in Christ. God took you out of the equation. It's not up to you because you couldn't do it. You couldn't contribute anything. You're spiritually dead. And God, who is rich in mercy and great in love, because he wants to show, he wants to display his immeasurable greatness of his love and kindness towards us in Christ, says, I got all of this. 100%. And what that does, once you wake up in Christ, is you're positioned now because of all because of grace to now go and live for Him. Men and women. And kids outside of Christ were the objects of God's wrath, but God had mercy. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive. Sin had us enslaved and shackled tight, but God set us free. 
We were walking down a path of destruction, but God caused us to walk in his ways. We were being swallowed up in the pit of our foolish, rebellious choices, but God had mercy. God lifted us up. Everything was stacked against us, but God showed love. But God had mercy. We're in the midst of trials right now, but God will save me all the way to the end. We were helpless and we were hopeless, but God saved us by his grace. He's given us an eternal hope. He's given us an eternal help. And he's promised to be with us forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let's take a moment to just pray. And let me ask Kaylin and Natalie to come up here with me. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I pray that... I pray for anyone who has not experienced the but God transforming effect of grace in their life. I pray right now. For anyone who would say, boy, I still feel like I'm, I'm in the first three verses there, that I'm lost, and I feel dead inside, and I would love to know the mercy that he's talking about. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would apply your mercy, your steadfast love, and your, the immeasurable riches of your kindness to their heart right now, and that you would cause them, by your grace, by the power of your grace, to repent, believe, and have life in your name. Lord, I pray for those of us that have trusted you. I pray that the story of your grace would once again stir our heart with great affections. Lord, this is what we mean when we ask you to warm our hearts, when we think about your richness and mercy, your steadfastness of your love. I pray that it would warm our hearts. And even though that we ebb and flow, I pray that all of us would be in a a place right now where we would be marveling over your kindness and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.